I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You're listening to our podcast edition of the program. I'm delighted to welcome to our show today Adam Klasfeld. He is reporter for Courthouse News and has covered legal developments in the most pressing cases in our country over these last years. Thanks so much for joining me today, Adam. Thank you for having me, Alexander. Adam, let me ask you a few specific questions about ongoing litigation and jurisprudence that you have covered and are covering, and then uh, ask you more broadly about uh, the status of law and order in this country uh, and, and a consensus around the legal traditions. Um, there, there are two cases that the Supreme Court is considering now that are rather simple in legal doctrine that has been adhered to over decades. So one is uh, the Supreme Court's taking a case about uh, allocation of reapportionment in the census and um, the administration wanting to exclude undocumented immigrants. Um, And in that case, the Constitution of the United States uh, spells out plain text that it's all people uh, who who should be counted and it does not um, say naturalized citizens uh, and, and it's a rather clear cut. Um, and, and that's one, one example of, of sort of the, the constitutional norm as it's been accepted for centuries, decades, certainly that seems to be a rather radical concept to challenge. And I wanted to start there in your thinking about that case. Well, one thing, as you did mention about that, is when it was filed, uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James had pointed out what you did, that this has been an accepted term for centuries. And she pointed to the history the last time the definition of persons had been challenged. And this has been a, it, she specifically talking about the time of slavery, that the time, that the uh, that the word persons had been parsed in this way. The apportionment clause, as you said, makes very clear all persons shall be counted uh, for the census and for the purposes of political apportionment. And so that was the attorney general's argument in making this case. It was an argument that was fast-tracked uh, before the court. Uh, it, it went before U.S. District Judge Jesse Furman, who heard the earlier census case. You may remember that the Trump administration did a different challenge of the census. So they wanted to add a citizenship question, basically asking uh, on the decennial survey, the inquiring about the citizenship status. That effort failed. It was Jesse Furman, that judge, uh, had rejected it resoundingly in a scathing opinion that was upheld all the way to the Supreme Court. Now there's a different challenge where through this uh, memo by the president, we have this interpretation that takes us to where we haven't been for centuries, where uh, the very meaning of persons for the purposes of political apportionment and political power, what that comes down to, is being questioned. And that is that was the focus of the attorney general's uh, lawsuit, uh, Letitia James. Uh, she won. It went before Jesse Furman again. And then he fast-tracked it to a three-judge panel uh, because anything that can affect political apportionment 
uh, under the statute has to go immediately. It can't go to just one judge's decision. So this was a very fast track to the Supreme Court, and they're going to get their second uh, Trump census case. And it's, of course, uh, already before them. And, and as you say, it, it takes us to a ground that seems uh, very clear in the apportionment clause of the Constitution and places where we haven't been before in a very long time. You see a Supreme Court whose members, at least four of them, want to consider this in some kind of newfangled way, which would understand the meaning of person differently. Um, in, in, you know, is there an understanding of what the argument would be should the court uh, redefine what is in the Constitution? Well, I, in, without getting into where predictions about where the court will fall, I, I will point to very recent history and, and go back to what I said just a little bit earlier, where this is the second Trump census, uh, Trump administration census policy that is coming under this challenge. And the first one was rejected. Uh, the in terms of the arguments uh, that the government has been making in this case, uh, they were resoundingly rejected entirely by that three judge panel. Um, and, and they had essentially been saying that, well, this is no longer, we're no longer talking about the citizenship question. We are simply talking about the president's power uh, over apportionment and it will come to an executive power um, argument. But again, those arguments were rejected by the three judge panel appointed by Judge Furman the first time around and that three judge panel that, that he assembled. And if history is any guide, um, we will, uh, it's facing a Supreme Court that has and obviously is in flux right now uh, that has rejected a an effort to change the census before it's just a new way to do what they were attempting to do with the citizenship question i mean it's it's just basically trying to get around that if you were to use uh the the roberts uh conviction or jurisprudence from the previous census is there I'm just wondering if you see what the end game might be here. Right. I mean, and I, I would go back to the at what you said and, and what I said with the apportionment clause. The, the text seems very, very clear. Uh, you know, if anyone who espouses, uh, you know, and I'm not espousing any particular philosophy, but if someone wants to call themselves a textualist or an originalist, it says right there that all persons, it's the, the word persons is used. And as you said, it's not all naturalized citizens. Uh, what, where, I, I think that someone who espouse that sort of judicial philosophy would be very hard pressed to try to justify something that is plainly in, in the constitution. Uh, which, which just raises the question of why it was taken up. You know, why, if, if it's such settled law, why was it taken up? 
Well, the, I think that the arguments that they're making, uh, and we'll, we'll have to see, they, they aren't before the court, but they have been before lower courts. Uh, the Supreme Court recently allowed uh, the Trump administration to stop the census count. So that apparently, you know, was them taking a view of presidential power that was separate from the issue that we're talking about right now. Um, but it inspired a uh, stinging dissent, uh, you know, saying that uh, from uh, Justice Sotomayor, uh, that it was a cost, uh, it's not a cost worth paying in terms of meeting the deadline of the census. Uh, it was, again, this is over a uh, separate issue with this uh, census. Uh, and we'll see if the high court thinks there's anything of a close call in the broader issue. Uh, with the three judge panel, it was, not a close call to them at all, that it, it was very clear cut and they pointed to the very clarity of the language. And so uh, we'll and yet see- there, there were still enough members on the current court who would clearly question the decision of the, of the panel. Um, and w whether you want to call that originalism or activism, uh, if, if this was such a clear cut case, it there wouldn't have to be an argument on it one way or another. Right. I, I think that the, the very recent decision was, so there are the two issues, the Trump administration trying to end the census count early uh, and the Supreme court allowed it. Right. And that was the one that justice Sotomayor was, uh, was very upset about. And uh, the, the one that's, before them now, uh, you know, I, I think a, a lot of people are very surprised that it's uh, being taken up and right. uh, and that this is uh, going to be a, a live issue over the nature of census apportionment that seems pretty clear cut in the Constitution. Let's change to the subpoena in New York City and the Cybans, New York City v. Trump, um, that is also ongoing. And while it appeared the court ruled in favor of Vance, um, Vance has still not executed the subpoena, correct? That's correct. Trump and um, his team have continued to protest the subpoena, uh, even though uh, that ruling, um, if enforced, uh, would mean that um, the subpoena could logically proceed. But I want to ask you about Vance's tactics, because there is the argument that he didn't have to go back to the lower court um, necessarily, um, and that he could have interpreted the decision in a way that fast-tracked the subpoena. Um, but he has taken a very cautious approach to this. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if, if the Supreme Court ultimately overrules New York City after its suggestion that New York City could proceed, will his tactics be questioned? Well, I think they already have been questioned, uh, including by a 
federal circuit court judge. You had U.S. Circuit George Court Judge Laval basically outright asking uh, Vance's office why uh, he has adopted a seemingly accommodating posture of allowing, agreeing to not execute the subpoenas as the Trump administration, or rather uh, President Trump himself, uh, keeps appealing these issues to a higher court. We have to remember this is two full rounds of litigation over this issue that went to uh, the Supreme Court on the basic question of, uh, is he absolutely immune from criminal investigation? The high court resoundingly rejected that, said no, and the uh, original ruling was upheld. And now we're on a second round of litigation of whether he can challenge it on other issues. And in each stage of the litigation, he's agreed to let President Trump challenge it uh, while basically uh, we won't execute the subpoena and that until you bring it to a higher court. And now is an end game. Now it's the, now it goes up to uh, the Supreme Court again for one last round. Um, Judge Laval, the last appeal that was heard, essentially asked, why are you granting all of these stays? Especially since one of uh, the district attorney's arguments is this is harming our investigation. It's been more than a year and it has been every time, you know, witnesses' memories fade, that you have to start worrying about the statute of limitations. Time is President Trump's friend. On, you know, every day that these subpoenas aren't executed is, in a sense, a victory for him. Uh, I think you're correct to say that Vance has been cautious here. Uh, there is an argument that, you know, I've heard speaking to legal experts that you don't want to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory and that by executing the subpoenas before the appeals are exhausted, maybe that sends a message to a higher court that they are not likely to, you know, he, you have to remember, he won resoundingly before the Supreme Court. It was not a close call. I believe it was a 7-2 margin. And I think there, from a certain point of view, uh, perhaps a view of Vance's office, but it's speculation, is uh, we have a winning case here. President Trump does not have a winning case. Let's fast track this as quickly as we can and do it in a way that is careful, but um, will let us have a pretty good chance of victory here. Didn't he already win, though, that that he could enforce the subpoena? I mean, that, that's my... Oh, absolutely. So yeah, no. What, what if... So is, is it possible that... that the court could bar him from doing what he legally should be able to do now. Well, see, this is the whole issue with the stay. Uh, when he agreed not to execute the subpoena, uh, that was a voluntary decision. He could have executed it. Um, there, theoretically, a higher court who heard that case that heard that case may have tried to uh, prevent the use of that evidence in, in a certain way. You know, I can't speak to what the high court 
would do, you know, I'm covering it as a journalist, not, not, a, not a lawyer or anything like that. Um, that it's absolutely accurate, however, to say that there were times in this litigation where he could have executed that subpoena if not for his voluntary decision not to execute it. The legal experts who I have spoken to about this uh, interpret this as being cautious that uh, sure, he could have executed it, um, but in order to preserve that victory, uh, he, he feels it's best not to potentially arouse the anger of a higher court, uh, get that, you know, we're at the last stage now. There are no more appeals left after this one. And in fact, just today, uh, Vance's office has asked the Supreme Court deny a stay. Now, if the Supreme Court denies a stay, then that's it. Vance can go out, execute the subpoena to Trump's law firm, Mazars, and you know get the tax returns and any other financial information that he's seeking for his investigation. And that could happen very, very quickly. Is your understanding that whatever transpires with this stay, um, that regardless of, of how the the Supreme Court decides this, he will still reserve the right to subpoena in some shape or form. Well, the Supreme Court, you know, theoretically, he hasn't lost yet, but the whole uh, thing at issue is whether the subpoenas are overbroad, issued in bad faith. The Supreme Court could turn out the other way. They didn't last time. Last time they ruled resoundingly in his favor. Anything can happen. There is a risk that he can lose for the first time after all of these appeals. And then he'd be back to the drawing board trying to, you know, the uh, Supreme Court could uh, say this subpoena is no good. Maybe, and then maybe he tries a new tactic. Um, I think that perhaps, uh, you know, and I I'm not, a fly on the wall in his office. So it's hard to say with any kind of certainty, but uh, if if you're inside the DA's office and you're looking at your record in court, um, you've gotta be feeling pretty good about the odds that you're going to win. And I think that uh, they're certainly looking very cautiously for a very clean win where they don't uh, take an earlier victory and execute the subpoena that they have absolutely every legal right to execute um, for fear that, you know, a higher court will jump in and say, um, you shouldn't have uh, done that before the appeal because actually we disagree with the lower court. He can always pursue the power of his office um, and seek the, the information that the grand jury requires to deliberate. Um, it would just be the case that he might be doing that um, after the court measured the extent to which he's able to do that. Um, Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And, and that's why his acquiescence, especially after what has been reported about his receipt of a Trump lawyer's donation and failure to pursue charges against uh, the real estate mogul's children in defiance of law is pretty stunning and 
uh, I'd imagine that the campaign to replace him or to challenge him if he is unsuccessful in this suit um, will be extremely loud. Um, but as a final line of inquiry, Adam, as you've explored the law, the firing of U.S. attorneys, uh, Gitmo, through the present um, Supreme Court battles, do you think that the law has changed since you started covering um, that we are losing some mutual sense of accountability in definitions uh, because a subpoena is a rather straightforward um, mechanism um, and the census usually is a rather straightforward accounting of, of uh, our country and its, its people. Um, and, and I just wondered if, if you felt as though there is a decline in, in our law in this country and in, in understanding what the law is. In terms of, you know, I've been covering the courts now for, for more than a decade. Uh, there are some things that I've seen argued in court, uh, particularly from the government, that I'd never seen or heard argued before. And that I've heard judges say uh, have not been seen or that they've never seen or heard before. Uh, talking about some of the cases that we've been talking about, the the uh, the case over the subpoena, the judge before the Supreme Court ruled on the first round of it, uh, there was a blistering ruling by Judge Marrero, basically telling President Trump that uh, he not exactly in these words, but uh, it, pretty close to it, telling him that he is not a king. Uh, and that the, the kind of, uh, and when that, when a different case, when a case went under appeal before the Second Circuit and a circuit judge asked uh, the president's attorney, can President Trump shoot someone on Fifth Avenue? Will there be any, would anyone have the power to investigate, and the attorney said no. These are very surprising things to hear from the mouths of uh, the attorney for the representative of the highest office in the land. So have, uh, in, in that sense, is there a, a change or surprise? The, the arguments for executive power have grown more broad, more audacious. They're, we're talking about things that have not been questioned for decades or centuries. On the flip side of that, so not to sound, uh, I, I want to acknowledge fully <laughs> where we have gone uh, in terms of uh, where we are now as a society. On the flip side, the cases that we've been discussing today uh, these are cases where uh, President Trump has lost in every turn and very often in very blistering, unanimous rulings. Uh, so I think that there is definitely a lot of strain uh, uh, and there are arguments being made in court that we haven't heard before. Um, there are strategies that uh, some of the people who, you know, like you mentioned, uh, District Attorney Vance has done a strategy that has, particularly in light of the history that you mentioned, being questioned by many people. Um, I 
I think that uh, they're on the flip side of that, we're also seeing uh, strong arguments being made in court to uh, reject that sweeping vision of executive power where uh, a president can shoot someone on the middle of Fifth Avenue and the police can't investigate. An overwhelming rejection of that, where um, these foundational reimaginings of who we count for the purposes of a census, that who is a person um, so far, uh, you know, has been resoundingly rejected. So um, I think it's absolutely uh, accurate to say that uh, things are being challenged and strained in a way that uh, I haven't seen over the course of my more than a decade career. Uh, I think it's also fair to say that we have seen uh, some pushback and that, uh, you know, with, without sounding uh, entirely overly optimistic about it, but to just cite the facts here, these, these very examples that we're talking about are examples of those assertions of power being held so far into check. Adam Klosfeld, reporter for Courthouse News, who's been on this beat for 10 plus years and has reported on some of these most essential legal questions about law and order in this country. Thank you so much for your insight today, Adam. Thank you for having me, Alexander.